Welcome to Come Follow Me with Free, episode 99, Such a Time as This. Hello, I'm so glad you're here, and I'm glad to be sitting here and looking outside and it's raining. I feel like we haven't had rain in a while, and yesterday my mom was texting because she's weird and she likes maps and looking at weather, and uh, she saw that there was a storm over where my sister is, and it just made me want a storm so bad, and I wouldn't really call this a storm, but it's definitely been raining for like an hour. So I guess kind of a storm. It's definitely not like crazy or anything, but I am looking out my window right now and it just feels so nice to see the rain and hear the rain. And I just, I just love it. It's just been so hot. Okay. Really quick. I want to tell you about something exciting that I'm working on and it totally could not happen (laughs) because I'm working with the church on it. Uh, but I am figuring out how to get permission to record the Book of Mormon, an audio version. I One of my things that I just am really bugged by is the audio versions of the, of the Book of Mormon and lots of books because I think they're hard to listen to. I think that they're not interesting. I think they don't make the characters come alive and feel real and feel like real people. And so I really, really, really want to read the Book of Mormon. So this is me kind of manifesting that happening. I um, am getting in contact with the church to see what kind of copyright issues are there and if I can get permission to do that. So everybody say a prayer for me that that can happen because I feel so excited about that. And I really want to do that for you and for anybody who needs to hear the Book of Mormon. And so if you could say a prayer and join with me on that, that that can, that can work out and I can figure out how to make it work. That would be awesome. All right. This week's reading is the whole book of Esther, the story of Esther. I am so excited for Esther because I think for most of us, Esther is the woman in the book of Mormon that we grew up as the most clear hero, most, the story that had the, the most obvious central character be a woman. And a great woman she is. At the time of Esther, there was a king named King Azarus, and he was king of 127 provinces. And if you read in those chapters, he it appears as though his kingdom was extremely large. So he was very powerful. And the capital of his, his country, his kingdom, was called Shushan, and it's located right now where modern-day Iran is. The book kicks off with King Azarus throwing a feast to show off his wealth for, how much is it, 180 days. And at the end of that 180 days, there is a seven-day feast. And it's super fancy. He has lots of decor going on. And he is giving everybody really fancy king's wine. And there's a queen, and her name is Queen Vashti. And she, during the seven-day period that's concluding this this celebration of wealth, she made her own feast for the women. And on the seventh day, the last day of the celebration, the king was drunk and he commands seven chamberlains, which I guess are like his, his most special, like ladies in waiting, except for not ladies in waiting to bring Vashti to him so that he could show her beauty to all of his princes and whoever was at the at the feast and she refused and that made the king very very angry now i feel like queen vashti deserves some props here because she it seems to me that she just didn't want to be displayed like 
an object for her beauty. However, this didn't come without consequences because it made the king very angry. And I think that there was some embarrassment and pride involved there because when the seven princes of Persia came talking to the king saying, what should we do with her? And one of them said, she not only wronged the king, but everyone, including us. And if word gets out about her attitude, it could spread to all the women in the kingdom and they could start disrespecting their husbands. So they decide with the king to get rid of her and replace her. And they believe that this will tell the kingdom that women need to stay in their place. So that makes me have feelings. That is, this makes me not like the king. This makes me not like the princes. This makes me not like their culture at the time in general. Ugh. So now they're in search of Vashti's replacement. And so virgins are brought from all over the kingdom to the king. And he sends his officers to collect the pretty ones and then to spruce them up. And a man named Mordecai, who is one of our heroes in this story, brings his cousin, who is an orphan that has been raised as his father's daughter because her parents died. When the king saw her, he liked her and he gave her servants and beauty supplies and the best place in the house. And she was keeping a secret. Mordecai had told her to not mention that she was a Jew. Mordecai checked on her every day, and she had 12 months of training and beauty treatments and learning how to be royal or something like that. And it's at this point, after the 12-month period, that every maiden that was being trained came to the king, and they were permitted to then take what they want out of the house of women, the house of women, to the king's house. And then they were given a place to stay there. When you officially went into the concubine house rather than the, the women training house, you only came into the king if he called you. And there was a specific important reason for this. There was a lot of assassination attempts at this point in history um, with kings. And so part of their security is that there were severe punishments if you approached the king without permission. So when it was Esther's turn to come to the king after her training, she didn't ask for anything. And after this point, Esther was admired by all. Everyone loved her. She sounds wonderful. She sounds like not a spoiled brat. And the king loved Esther more than all. And he made her queen. When this happened, there was a feast put on for her called Esther's Feast. And during this feast, Mordecai, her cousin, remember, who is basically her adopted father at this point, was at the gate and he overheard two chamberlains talking about assassinating the king. Mordecai told Esther, Esther told the king, although the king didn't know that it was Mordecai that that revealed this, and they figured out the conspiracy and both chamberlains were hanged and the king was saved. It's at this point that we are introduced to a man named Haman. And Haman was promoted to a high position like second in command to the king. And the people were commanded by the king to bow to Haman. But Mordecai, whom actually I just I tried to look this up. I don't know why Mordecai is always at the king's gate, but it seems like he has some sort of role that makes it so that he's at the gate all the time. But I couldn't figure that out. So Mordecai's at the gate and he refuses to bow because he is a Jew and they are commanded not to bow to anyone, not to uh, worship or reverence anybody but the God of Israel. And the servants ask him, why? Why won't you do this? 
And he explains to them and they keep asking him and they're obviously annoyed by it because they tell Haman that he refuses to to bow to him. And I guess Haman, for whatever reason, hadn't noticed yet. But after he was told about it, he definitely noticed and it made him very angry. And it's at this point that he is so angry that he decides that it's not enough just to have Mordecai killed, but he wants all of the Jews to be killed in the kingdom. So Haman and his buddies, they cast lots to decide when to do it. And luckily for everybody, it's kind of far in the future. So Haman tells the king that the Jews are a problem and that their code of conduct is different and that their their laws and their commandments make it so that the king is not their first priority. So basically, what is their purpose and why keep them around? And he also says that I will pay to have them killed. I'll pay all the people, all the, the soldiers who go out and, and kill them. I will pay for it. And so the king at this point gives Haman his ring. And it's one of those rings where um, I imagine you like pour wax and you put your stamp on it. <laughs> I just hit the table. You probably heard that. Um, that was me stamping the table like the king. Um, but thereby gave him authority to basically say that these are the wishes of the king and Haman gets to kind of do what he wants. So the letters are sent everywhere. And an important part to understand is that in Persian law, once the king sends out a command or an edict or whatever, it cannot be reversed. So the command is kill all the Jews on this certain day and then you can plunder and take all their things afterward. So, of course, Mordecai and the Jews in general learn about this, and they are mourning. And Mordecai publicly mourns at the king's gate, and he's in sackcloth, and he's crying and wailing and doing whatever that means. And Esther's maids told her about what Mordecai is doing, and it seems as though Esther is a little insulated from what's going on because she's at the palace. And so she doesn't yet know what this edict has done to her people or will do to her people. And so when she hears about Mordecai, she sends him clothes and he refuses. And so she sends a chamberlain to Mordecai to ask, what is, what is happening? Why are you doing this? So Mordecai told the chamberlain about Haman and Haman's money being used to, to influence all of the Jews being killed. And he gave the, the chamberlain proof of the order and Mordecai asks Esther to go to the king. And she replies saying, if, if I go to the king without being called, I'm going to be killed. It doesn't matter that I'm the queen. I'm going to be killed unless he holds out his golden scepter, which I guess is, is his way of giving permission for the person to come forward, even though they, they didn't have permission to come forward in the first place. Mordecai's reply to her is, you don't think you're going to escape this, do you? You are Jewish. And just because the, you're in the palace doesn't mean that you are not also going to be killed. And it's at this point that we get to the most famous scripture in the book of Esther. Mordecai says to Esther, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So Mordecai, he knows the destiny of the Jews. So he's saying, I guess if if we don't get saved here, there's going to be another deliverance of Jews elsewhere, but we're all going to die. And why are you here? And I imagine that the subtext of that is that 
You are an orphan Jewish girl and you ended up queen of Persia? Why do you think God put you there? To do nothing? To sit there and and be pretty? Or to do something? To help your people? Don't you think God put you here for a reason? Don't you think the same thing can be said to us? Let's take me for example. I was born into a family who loved me, who taught me the gospel. I was born to a country that allows me to worship how I please, that has provided the atmosphere for the success of the church to spread throughout the world. I was born at a time where technology is incredible. My husband and I have been blessed with him having an occupation that provides for us well enough that I am able to stay home and take care of our kids and do this podcast. I have been given many, many blessings. And I'm sure that many of you can say the exact same thing as you list out your blessings, realizing how incredible. I mean, just even think about the fact that at least at least for me, I know that people are in different parts of the world, but I can go to the grocery store. I don't have to catch my food or hunt my food or grow my food. I just get to go to the store and buy whatever food that I want. And that leaves me, all of this leaves me a lot of time that I can dedicate to the Lord. So I, like Esther, have a responsibility to use the the blessings and the good fortune and circumstance that I have in order to do things that the Lord might say, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I was sent here, you were sent here, at a specific time, at a specific place, in order to accomplish a great work. And all you have to do is listen and pay attention so that you notice when those times come that you were born for, that you were sent here for, that you were foreordained for. Elder Uchtdorf said, The Lord gave you your responsibilities for a reason. There may be people and hearts only you can reach and touch. Perhaps no one else could do it in quite the same way. James E. Faust also said, These are challenging times. I believe your spirits may have been reserved for these latter days that you, like Esther, have come to earth for such a time as this. It may be that your most significant, everlasting achievements will be your righteous influence on others, that your divine feminine inner beauty, intuition, will find expression in your quiet strength, gentleness, dignity, charm, graciousness, creativity, sensitivity, radiance, and spirituality. Enhance these sublime feminine gifts. Now, obviously, we don't all have the same spiritual gifts. We don't have all the same personality qualities. We don't all fit into this nice, tidy little box about what a woman or a man should should be like or act like. But the point is, is that we have all been given spiritual gifts that can have a righteous influence on others, a righteous influence that perhaps cannot be matched by somebody else, that you were meant to exercise, that you were meant to put out there into the world to affect the world for good. So let's learn about what Esther does. She sends a message back to Mordecai saying, gather all of the Jews in Shushan, which remember is the capital, and fast for me for three days. And me and my ladies will fast too. And then I will go to the king. And if I perish, I perish. I love that her first thought is that she needs to fast. The book of Esther is kind of an interesting one because it actually doesn't officially mention God at all. And yet, God is throughout all of it. We've got God in Mordecai refusing to bow to Haman. We've got God in Esther knowing that she needs the power of God through fasting in order to have the courage and get the the divine blessing and help that she needs from God in order to go, go do this brave thing. 
I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel like I truly do not appreciate the power of fasting. And clearly Esther does. She knows that fasting has been something we have been commanded to do. And the Lord doesn't give us commandments without purpose. The Lord tells us that fasting is powerful. Therefore, it is powerful. Are we properly utilizing that great blessing of an added measure of power through fasting? What can we do in our lives to accomplish greater things by fasting? Like I asked you at the beginning to pray for me that I would be able to work with the church in order to make sure that I can do my Book of Mormon uh, reading. I shouldn't just ask you guys to pray. I'm I'm going to fast. I mean, you guys can fast too, but um, I should be fasting because that gives us power and access to Heavenly Father's blessings. Are there things in your lives, things that are are big and hard and that you're trying to accomplish or you're scared to do or whatever that you have not tried the good word of God and fasted? Okay, so back to Esther. Esther, after the three days, she gets all fancy and she goes and stands in the king's hall. And this is an intense moment because this is the moment where she could be killed because this truly was not allowed. It was against the law. Let's read chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther, and what is thy request? It shall be given thee even to half the kingdom. And Esther answered, If it seem good to unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him. And actually, I'm going to keep going. Then the king said, Cause Haman to make haste that he may do as Esther hath said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And the king said unto Esther, at the banquet of wine, what is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Even to half the kingdom, it shall be performed. Then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it so please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them. And I will do tomorrow as the king has said. So it seems to me that there's some sort of like wine feast that they call it, that she has them come to first before the actual feast. So Haman goes out after this, this feast of the wine, knowing that he's going to the big feast tomorrow. And it said that he was joyful and with a glad heart. But then he saw Mordecai and Mordecai again did not bow to him. And so Haman was full of indignation against Mordecai. Can you just picture him? He's just like skipping out of the room where he just learned that he was invited to this special feast that Queen Esther had planned. And then Mordecai doesn't bow to him and he's just, he's just ticked. Doesn't he sound just like the most tantrum-y two-year-old you ever heard about? But it says that Haman refrained, so he didn't go punch Mordecai in the face or kill him. He refrained, and then he went home and he sent for his friends and his wife, and he bragged to them about his position and his riches and his household, and finally, that Esther had only invited him and the king to this special feast. But he also says, this all still sucks because Mordecai is still alive. And so then they start to really get excited and make fun of Mordecai and, and get all high on their own awesomeness. And they say that, hey, Haman, you should make a 75-foot high gallows to hang Mordecai on so that everyone can see. And Haman really likes that idea. And so we'll see in a, in a few verses that he does do that. 
So that night, the king couldn't sleep. And because he couldn't sleep, he wanted to be read the book of records. And during that reading, he finds out that Mordecai was the one who told and foiled the assassination plot that we heard about earlier. And he wonders what has been done to honor Mordecai. And he gets his answer that nothing has been done. So Haman comes the next morning to come talk to the king about hanging Mordecai on these gallows that he has created. And I don't know if Haman started to talk about Mordecai and then the king had this great idea to kind of trick Haman, or if the king just already knew that Haman hated Mordecai. But when he went in, the king asks Haman, what should I do to honor someone who's done something great and who I want to honor? And Naaman, of course, being so arrogant, thinks that the king is talking about him. And so Haman says that he should bring the king's clothes and dress this man in the king's clothes and put him on a horse and a crown and even have a prince be the one that comes and brings all of these things to him. And then bring this man through the street on horseback and have runners go ahead proclaiming his glory and honor. Little does Haman know that the king is talking about Mordecai. And so the king says, okay, hurry, go do this for Mordecai because he's the one I want to honor and don't leave anything out. So Haman has to go do this and he has to dress Mordecai up and put him on a, on a horse and put a crown on him and take him throughout the streets and proclaim how awesome he is. Can you even imagine he's going to the king to be all excited about his idea to hang Mordecai up on this 75 foot gallow? And instead, he ends up putting Mordecai on a horse in the king's clothes, proclaiming how awesome he is. Haman is horrified and so embarrassed. It says in chapter 6, verse 12, And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. I mean, he just really got humbled a little bit there. But not just, I don't think he actually got humbled. I think he was really embarrassed and angry. So Haman goes back and he tells his wife and his friends what has happened. And they say, since Mordecai is, is a Jew and being honored, you can't possibly still carry out this order to kill all of the Jews. And you can't carry out this hanging of Mordecai because the king is honoring him. And I'm sure he wasn't very happy with that. But now he has to go to this banquet. And so they get to the banquet and it's the king and Haman. And the king says to Esther again, what do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. So it's at this point that Esther pleads for her people. She says in Esther chapter 7, starting in verse 3, Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. So she's saying, basically, I have come here to plead for my life and for the life of my people. And if it had just been that we were being sold to be slaves, I might have held my tongue because that wouldn't hurt the king. But that's not what's happening. We are being sold to perish. Verse 5, And then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he and where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? So the king doesn't, she, he doesn't know that she's a Jew yet. And so he's saying, What? What are you talking about? Who is this that wants to kill you and your people? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is the wicked Haman. 
Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And the king, arising from the banquet of wine, in his wrath went into the palace garden, and Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed where Esther was. And the king said, Will he force the queen also before me in my house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who hath spoken good to for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. So Haman is hung on the gallows that he made for Mordecai. Talk about full circle justice. At this point, the king gave Naaman's whole estate to Esther. And at this point, Mordecai was called before the king because Esther told the king who he was to her. At this point, the king didn't know that Mordecai was her cousin. And the king gave Mordecai the ring that Naaman had been given as, as the king's authority. So basically, he got Naaman's position. And I imagine it's a combination of the fact that he was Esther's cousin, who he loved, and also that Mordecai had also been very loyal to the king and prevented an assassination. And then Esther set Mordecai over Naaman's house. And then, this seems self-explanatory to me, but it says at that point, Esther pleads with the king to reverse the edict, which actually, now that I think about it, an edict can't be reversed. And so I wonder if it was more like, I, I can't reverse it. That's according to Persian law. I can't reverse that edict. And so I think she's just pleading, like, just just do it again anyway. Do, do what you can. And so the king does. He sends out... Um, a big proclamation saying that the Jews are not to be killed. And he also gives the Jews power to fight back and tells them to cut down their own enemies because it's, it's tricky when you can't reverse an edict because a lot of people are going to say, well, you can't reverse it. So we're going to do it anyway. And so the Jews now have power to defend themselves and also to plunder the people that they, that they take over. And so the Jews do kill a lot of the people who come after them. And as you can imagine, there was also great rejoicing among the Jews. I mean, their their death sentence has just been revoked as well as it can be revoked. And Mordecai has been made royal-ish. And there's also a lot of people who um, convert, I guess, to become Jews, which is a little confusing to me. Maybe somebody smarter than me knows this answer. I know that at that point, being Jewish, being Israelite was a nationality. So I don't know if that, I guess that just means they, I, we have documentation of that. So I guess they converted to the religion because they feared the Jews so much and they didn't want the, the wrath of the Jews because the Jews had now been given so much power to defend themselves. So this all gives birth to a feast that is still held by the Jews today called Param. And the word pair or per translates into cast lots. So if you remember at the beginning of all of this, this drama, Haman cast lots to figure out what day the Jews should die. And so that's why they call it Param. And on the holiday Param, they exchange food and drink and they give money to the poor and they have a celebratory meal and they recite the book of Esther. And I learned kind of a fun one is to young children, they, they recite the book of Esther and whenever they say the name Mordecai, they're supposed to clap, which I wish they clapped also for Esther. But when they say the name Mordecai, they clap. And when they say the name Haman, they all boo, which makes me want to do that with my kids. I think that they would have fun with that. 
So this feast param, it's Mordecai who declared it be done yearly. I love when I learn about things that are still done now that have an origin that I didn't know about. So I think that's really cool. So Mordecai, he has basically become second in command to the king. And it says that he sought for wealth and peace of his people. And we've learned throughout these chapters that Mordecai is a pretty good guy. And we don't know anything else about his story, but it seems as though he was pure of heart and he sought for the welfare of his people. Okay, so that's the story of Esther. The reason I wanted to go through it in such detail is because I feel like I knew the story of Esther, but I didn't know the the, the full detail of it. And I figured that a lot of you maybe didn't remember or or hadn't heard the full detail of it either. And I think the story is so cool. It's such a great example of how one person that starts out without power can get to a place with the Lord's help, with support from the Lord, as he or she has faith in Jesus Christ, can do great things. By small and simple things, great things are brought to pass. This week, I want you to ask yourself, what things are you being called to do for such a time as this? What are the things that you need to do? And it might not be a giant thing. Maybe it is, but likely it's not. But It is giant. It is huge. It is influential in your life and the people around you. I want to end with a quote from Camille N. Johnson. Esther is another beautiful example of letting God prevail. Rather than sticking with a cautious narrative of self-preservation, she exercised faith, turning herself completely over to the Lord. Haman was plotting the destruction of all Jews in Persia. Mordecai, Esther's relative, became aware of the plot and wrote to her, urging her to talk with the king on behalf of her people. She recounted to him that one who approaches the king without being summoned was subject to death. But in a tremendous act of faith, she asked Mordecai to gather the Jews and fast for her. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, she said, and so I will go unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. Esther was willing to let the Savior write her story, even though through the lens of mortality, the ending may have been tragic. Blessedly, the king received Esther and the Jews in Persia were saved. Of course, Esther's level of courage is rarely asked of us, but letting God prevail, letting him be the author and finisher of our stories, does require us to keep his commandments and the covenants we have made. It is our commandment and covenant keeping that will open the line of communication for us to receive revelation through the Holy Ghost. And it is through the manifestations of the Spirit that we will feel the Master's hand writing our stories with us. Do you think Esther came up with that whole plan herself? She could have just come in and pled her case in front of the king without all of this banqueting and bringing Haman into the into the situation, but she didn't. The Lord gave her revelation, showing her the best path for success. And the Lord can give you revelation too. You, I know you do, you have hard situations in your life and you can trust him and you can have him be your partner as you navigate those situations and receive revelation so that you know the best path forward. I love that she reminds us that God is the author, can be the author and finisher of our stories if we let him prevail. Esther trusted God. She let him be the author and finisher of that story. She knew it could have turned out a completely different way, but she trusted God and trusted that whatever he would do to support her would be the right way for that story to finish. As we allow the Lord to be the author and finisher of our stories, 
things might not always turn out how we want them to turn out right now, but I do promise you that they will turn out the way the Lord wants it to turn out for your good. Repeated one last time, Esther's level of courage is rarely asked of us, but letting God prevail, letting him be the author and finisher of our stories does require us to keep his commandments and the covenants we have made. It is our commandment and covenant keeping that will open the line of communication for us to receive revelation through the Holy Ghost. And it is through the manifestations of the Spirit that we will feel the Master's hand writing our stories with us. As Mordecai was convincing Esther to do what she needed to do, he reminded her that the Jews would be delivered no matter what she chose to do. The Lord will accomplish His purposes no matter what you choose to do. If someone is humble and ready to allow their life to be affected, the Lord will find a way to do that whether through you or not. So the question is, are you going to allow yourself to be that instrument in his hands? Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.